0: We're so glad that y'all have joined us online for worship today, and we're positive that God has something specifically to speak just to you. We want you to know that you are
1: always welcome here at First Baptist Azel, and that you can connect with us by going online to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. Now let's hop back into the sermon and hear what God has for us today. This is a beautiful passage as well this morning, Psalm chapter 30, and we're going to look at several of verses Uh, But this is the psalmist sharing his heart to God. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Sing to the Lord, you saints of His. Praise His holy name. For His anger lasts only a moment, but His favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Let's pray together. Father, how we look forward to that, should look forward to that, must look forward to that every day. Rejoicing comes in the morning. Help us to understand the depth of these words today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, Great Day in the Morning. Great Day in the Morning. You've heard that term all of your life, as I have as well. I'm not sure exactly how it is originated that way, but you and I understand what that means. Great day in the morning. I think David was trying to say that or convey that ideal in Psalm chapter 30, verse 4. Great day in the morning. He had good reason to thank God. He had prevailed over his enemies. He saw warfare many times in his life. And David, remember when we first saw him in his life, he was a boy who had to defend not only Uh, his sheep against wolves, uh, excuse me, bears and lions, but obviously he had to defend himself against bears and lions. I can only fathom if I just had a couple of stones and a piece of leather and a lion or a bear was coming straight at me. So he knew what it was like to be delivered by God. And then, of course, his first and famous battle scene was with Goliath and how he defeated a much larger enemy with one stone, And the help of his God. So he had been in many battles in life. He knew what it was like to to struggle. Some of you have seen warfare. Or you've seen death close up. Some of you have had a brush with death in your own life. Maybe you had a terrible auto accident or a surgery that was a life and death kind of surgery. Or illness that brought you to the brink of death. But through it all, God has delivered you. Because you're here this morning, obviously, God has delivered you. Amen? Two weeks ago, I spoke to you about anger. I shared one of the most important things that we are to remember about anger is that there is a time limit. Do you remember that? I shared with you Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. I'm not going to show it to you today, but in Ephesians 4, 26, it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That is If you're angry, and even if it's justifiable anger, righteous anger, there is a time limit. When you wake up tomorrow, it's a new day. You shouldn't wake up with yesterday's anger. It needs to be over. God did that because he understands that tomorrow turns into next week, next month, and next year so easily. But it caused me to start thinking about what kind of thoughts should be going through our mind and in our hearts when we wake up each morning. That's why I wrote this book. Sermon entitled, Great Day in the Morning. As for you today, is it a great day in the morning? Maybe you have all kinds of problems. You have so many problems, you don't even know where to start. Maybe you're financially in the hole so much, you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, you don't know how you're ever going to get out of it, you're gonna have, you, you've sat down and worked it all out, and you'll be 140 when it's all paid off. <laughs> maybe you're like that or maybe you're having other problems in your relationships or in your spiritual life, you're in a rut or whatever it may be. Maybe you're not like that at all. Maybe you've had a great week. Maybe your biggest problem this morning was deciding which tie to wear. (laughs) Uh, You know, maybe you're that way. I don't know. But either way, David does not explain except to say God had delivered him and uh, there was rejoicing that came in the morning. Did you know that morning is mentioned many times in the Bible? I never really done a study on that one particular word. In fact, it is mentioned so many times that it's, it's mentioned repeatedly from the very first chapter in Genesis all the way to the very last verses of the Bible in Revelation 22. Um, it plays a primary role from beginning to end. If you look with me in Genesis chapter 1, uh, we're going to begin in verse 5 at the moment of creation. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. But in verse 8, it says, God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning. The second day. Verse 13. And and there was evening and there was morning the third day. Verse 19. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And verse 22 says, God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the the water and the seas and let the birds increase in the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. In verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. Every day of creation, it ends with morning. Which is interesting. Do you notice those two words are seemingly backwards? You would think it would be the morning and the evening. But he specifically does it this way every single time. There was evening and there was morning. There was this concept of a brand new day. And it was good. In Genesis chapter 32, Jacob was in the midst of a crisis in his life when an angel wrestled with him all night long. And when the dawn came the next day, the next morning, he had a brand new life, a brand new outlook, and a brand new name, Israel. If you remember, not only was it a great day in the morning for Jacob, But in Exodus chapter 12, after 430 years, we've been studying on Wednesdays, a bondage for the Israelites, harsh treatment, slavery. The Israelites woke up for the first time in the wilderness. It was a great day in the morning because they were free at last. In Exodus chapter 16, the Israelites, after complaining, they had no food to eat. If you remember that passage. They walked out one morning. Of course, they're in the middle of nowhere. They're in the middle of the wilderness. And again, I assure you, there's nothing down there. Uh, they, of course, there's two to three million of them. How do you feed two to three million people? So I understand their anxiety, but they walked out the next morning and there was food all over the ground at first light. Now, if they waited too long, it evaporated. But this bread, this manna, they could just pick it up. Wouldn't it be great, instead of debating or discussing what you're gonna do for lunch today? We just walk outside in the parking lot and pick it up. <laughs> one of the members of our church, Chris June, was a producer of the movie called uh, um, "Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs," an animated movie. One and two, he co-produced those movies, and it's the story, comical story about a guy who invents a, a boy who invents a machine that causes food to fall out of the sky. Well, in Exodus, literally that's what happened. It literally fell out of the sky every morning. Can you imagine walk, you know, you wake up hungry. I mean, really hungry in the middle of the desert. You walk out of your tent and there's just food everywhere. That was a great day in the morning. In Isaiah chapter 37, the Israelites and King Hezekiah were in danger of being wiped out by the powerful Assyrian army. God basically said to Hezekiah, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. In verse 35, God says this in Isaiah 37, 35. This is God speaking here. I will defend this city and save it. For my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. It doesn't even say how he did it. It's just that, and I don't know why God does what he does and how he does it. Because there are many times in the Bible where God requires his people to fight. He says, I'll be with you. There was one time where he had Moses hold his arms up. Remember that? As long as his arms were in the air, God brought victory. And if you put his hands down, God brought defeat. So he had to hold his arms up the whole time. God does what he chooses to do. But in this particular situation, God simply says to Hezekiah, don't worry about it. I'm going to take care of it. And they didn't hear a sound. They didn't hear any gunshots or any cannon fire. They didn't hear any bows and arrows or spears being thrown through the air. They didn't hear any lightning or thunder. They just slept all night long. And when they woke up in the morning, the whole army was dead. All of their enemy had been defeated. That was a great day in the morning because when they woke up the next day, they thought perhaps that would be their last day before they would be overtaken, but God delivered them. <clears throat> in Daniel chapter 6, the king woke up <clears throat> early in the morning at, at first light. He couldn't sleep all night. He was really distraught because a man that he really liked and respected, Daniel, had been, he'd been manipulated into throwing Daniel into the lion's den. So the Bible says he literally hurried or ran to the lion's den, and when he came close to the mouth of the lion's den, he called out, Daniel, are you there? Did your God deliver you? He said, and Daniel cried out or called out, yes, the angel closed the mouths of the lion, and I'm okay. That was a great day in the morning. Very early in the morning, Mary Magdalene and several other women went to the tomb Uh, I don't know what their disposition was while they went to the tomb. It was probably very quiet, very somber, and very sad. But it was about to change. Now that was a great day in the morning. The women go and they see the tomb is empty. The stone had been rolled away and Mary remains behind and she is the first one to witness the resurrection of her Savior. That's a great day in the morning. John chapter 21 tells us that after the resurrection, the disciples uh, uh, had fished all night long and they hadn't caught a thing. Remember that happened at the calling of Peter and now it happens after the resurrection of Jesus. So that morning, at first light, early in the morning, after being exhausted from not catching anything, they see a man on the shore. The man on the shore says, have you caught anything? They said, no. He says, why don't you try on the right side of the boat? And they filled their nets over capacity. And they realized that's the resurrected Savior. That's Jesus. That was a great day in the morning. In Acts chapter 2, the disciples were all together. Jesus has now ascended into heaven. But on the day of his ascension, at the moment of his ascension, he told his disciples one last requirement. He says, I want you to wait right here. Because he then promised them the coming of the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Wait here, and I'm going to send you the Counselor, of the Holy Spirit. So they waited in Jerusalem. And here in Acts chapter 2, early in the morning, the Holy Spirit came upon them. We know that because after the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were speaking in different languages to all the people there, some of the people thought that they, they had been drinking. And he said, remember Peter got up and gave that first great sermon? He said, no, we haven't been drinking because it's, does anybody remember the time? It's only nine o'clock in the morning. So we know the Holy Spirit came upon them early on in the morning. And since that day, you and I, as believers in Christ, when we give our life to Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon us. That was a great day in the morning. And then all the way at the end in Revelation chapter 22, at the end of all things, Jesus concludes the Bible with his own words. He says this in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. And this is Jesus' description of himself. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright, what? Morning star. Isn't it interesting? The last words, the last chapter... At the very end, the very first words of the first chapter, and now the last words of the last chapter. The word "morning" is used to describe now our Christ. Did you have a great day in the morning this morning? When you woke up, you, you rolled over and you saw your spouse there? Or you went out and saw your kids? Or your cat? Or your dog? Or whoever you have in the house? Or when you came up here and went through traffic or whatever happened? Did you have a great day in the morning? How do we do that? Because sometimes we, and myself included, we are tempted to wake up as God's people, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and have a terrible, awful, horrible disposition. And there may be some logical reason for it, but there's no spiritual reason for it because God is in control. I had to remind myself again of that every day when I watch the news. What a week we've had. My goodness, the Supreme Court pick and the the, the election coming up and all the, the riots and the animosity and the anger in our country. And I have to remind myself not to be pulled into the darkness of that. Now, it doesn't mean that we put our head in the sand and we don't even know what's going on. Jesus knew what was going on in his nation and in the world when he was alive but there's a difference between knowing what's going on and allowing yourself to be pulled into that darkness and that hate. Did you have a great day in the morning? So here's my challenge to you today. I'm going to give you three just simple, straightforward things that you can do every this week, every day this week and every day from now on so you can have a great day in the morning. And you're probably going to guess some of these, but... The truth is, if you don't do them, you're probably not going to have a great day in the morning very often. Number one, begin each day with the right attitude. Or the way I put it on there is, begin each day with attitude. Now, you may begin each day with attitude, but you're supposed to begin each day with the right attitude. And by the way, you and I have a choice. You may think that the situation in your life dictates that you have a bad attitude. It does not. It does not. It does. So listen, it does if you don't believe in a sovereign God. It does if you don't think that God is in control, then you don't have a choice. If it does, if you believe God doesn't care about you, but if you believe that God is sovereign, that he's in control, and that he cares about you, you have a choice, regardless of your situation, to have the right attitude when you wake up in the morning. So for you, it was today a great day in the morning. There is so much difficulty, frustration, disappointment to tempt us to have a bad attitude, but there is so much more to compel us in Christ to have a great attitude. So let me ask you, what kind of attitude do you have when you wake up every day? What does it take for you to be in the right attitude. What helps you go from the bad attitude to a good attitude? Is it coffee? I hear that a lot. (laughs) I see a lot of coffee memes online. I talk about, you know, I'm a terrible disposition, I'm a terrible person now, but I just haven't had my coffee yet. Don't bother me until I've had my coffee. Have you seen those memes? Well, I have a few for you in case you haven't. Let's, let's take a look at the first one. <clears throat> Don't talk to me before I've had my morning coffee. Are you that kind of person? Are you so uh, um, focused on the importance of a cup of coffee to start your day, that you're like um, that uh, was it Gollum? "We wants it. We needs it. We must have the coffee, my precious." All right, show the next one. "My morning coffee contains all of my people skills. <laughs> Did you know that some people even make spiritual application to coffee? And I just found these online. Here's just two of them. I go to the next one. Coffee, because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I like that. Or when that first cup of coffee touches your soul. Is it a religious experience for you? Wow. Well, if it takes coffee to make you a good person, I have bad news for you. You're not a good person. <laughs> if the only thing that makes you bearable to others is a chemical, you're in bad trouble. You need to rethink your life. Now, I'm not telling you coffee is a bad thing, although I do have a verse for you. This I actually found this in the Bible. The Bible actually says this: "Don't shoot the messenger." This is Isaiah chapter five, verse eleven. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their dreams. <laughs> Uh, 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 now, I'm not a coffee drinker, by the way, so I can laugh. But um, uh, uh, now I'll be honest with you. Uh, I don't think he was talking about coffee. One of the reasons I know he wasn't talking about coffee per se is because this was written 2,500 years before coffee was invented. Uh, but also, it, had I put in the second part of the verse, which I cut out, uh, it actually talks about, does anybody know? Yeah, it was it was alcoholic drink. And so some people wake up and they just got to have that drink. Well, it is the same principle. If you drink coffee because you like coffee, that's fine. But if you drink coffee to make you a bearable human being, that's not fine. You need to lay off the coffee or go decaf and then surrender your life to Christ. <laughs> so Chris told the first congregation this morning that he felt assaulted after the sermon because... Chris likes coffee. He likes coffee so much that when I went on vacation, he actually made coffee during the sermon. Do you remember that? So I'm not telling you, Chris, that you can't make coffee. Uh, but uh, but uh, again, by the way, I, I have more bad news for you. Do you know who invented coffee? I had to look it up. Wikipedia will tell you all about it. Uh, coffee was first invented. In fact, the very first reporting of the existence of coffee was in the 15th century and it was used in religious ceremonies for Muslims. Did you know that it was a it was a Muslim it was a Muslim religious ceremony item. So, Chris, you can go ahead and make your coffee, but while you're brewing it, you have to say Allah Akbar. <laughs> okay, all right. He's gone too far. Let's get him. Oh, coffee. Now, it may not be coffee for you. What gets you in the right mood? And let me tell you what David did. He did a couple of things that I'm going to tell you to do in just a minute that changed his attitude. But here in the end, you have to decide. I don't care how many cups of coffee you drink or monster drinks or anything else. I don't care what you do. You have to make a choice. I'm going to have a good attitude today. Or you make a choice. I'm not going to have a a good attitude today. Have you heard the term? So-and-so woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Have you ever accused people of that? Has anyone ever accused you of that? I'm not sure where that came from. I'll look for a Wikipedia article for that. They woke up on the wrong side of the bed. But I do know what it means, and you know what it means as well. You just woke up mad. You woke up in a bad mood. Well, I don't know if that's true or not, but in the end, I can tell you that if we get out of bed mad or we get out of bed upset, we are making the choice to do that. And again, I would say that's understandable if you're just a pawn going through a life. But if you belong to Christ, God has redeemed your soul, forgiven your sins. He has given you purpose and meaning in your life. He's given you a a future to look forward to and a hope in heaven. The resurrection of the dead on the last day. You and I have no excuse for getting out of bed with a bad mood. Because we're in the hands of a sovereign and gracious God. So <clears throat> if you look in Philippians chapter two, verse five, it tells us what kind of attitude we have we, we are to have. He says, "Your attitude should be what? The same as that of Christ Jesus." Now, what kind of attitude did Jesus have? He spends the rest of the chapter, or much of the rest of the chapter, describing the attitude of Christ. Now, I'm going to read the chapter to you, but he simply is referring to Jesus and the fact that he was humble. He humbled himself and submitted himself to the will of his heavenly Father. I can guarantee you this, Jesus never had a bad attitude. He never woke up on the wrong side of the bed, ever. And if he had a bad dream... Or he woke up and he was physically in pain or he was hurting or he was sore or he had been criticized or threatened the day before. Jesus was ready for the challenge. He did not let that affect his decision to have a good attitude. Our attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. God expects that of us every single morning. He doesn't give a loophole unless this happens or unless that person does this or says that or you get fired or whatever. He doesn't give us any of that. He simply says our attitude should be the same as that of our Savior. Some of you might can sympathize with this guy trying to reconcile his attitude with his claim to love Jesus. Watch this little clip.
0: Yeah, yeah, go ahead, look for your car, walk at a like an angle across the street. <laughs> Just stay in the way of the cars for as long as you possibly can. There's no reason we wouldn't want this lot all congested or anything, people to be able, okay, no, no, I'll stop while you look for your keys. It's cool. Oh, gotta reply all, reply all, reply all, reply all. Yeah, go ahead. Just stand in front of the car. Just stand in front of the car. She said, just tell me when you can be there. She didn't say, tell everyone when you can be there. I just need to get. Oh, I hate this. Oh, I love Jesus, so. <laughs> Okay, I like that one. Like that one. that one. How do you not know what you wanted? You waited behind three other cars. Just stop hitting reply at all. Just answer the one person. Why reply? Oh, it's Bill. He's gonna to wanna to talk to me about his fantasy football team. I don't care. Ugh. Hey, who microwaves salmon in an office full of people? Honestly. I didn't watch the game. I told you I don't watch the game. I don't care who you got. Just respond to the person you need to respond to, not everyone in the office. I don't care how you're ranked. I'm just gonna pull in, close the door. Let's just close the door. Close the door. Oh, oh, they're ordering like 20 drinks for the office. Go inside, go inside. Pretend you don't see him, pretend you don't see him. Oh, I hate this. I hate this. Oh, good. he's giving up. I hate that guy, but I love Jesus. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah? I need those express reports by Friday. No problem. Awesome. Hate that guy.
1: Is that how people see you? Um, We all have those days. We have a choice. Now, you may be thinking, all right, okay, yes, pastor, I need to wake up every morning with a better attitude. How do I do that? Well, funny you should ask. (laughs) The second and third one are how you can do that. Biblical strategies for waking up on the right side of the bed, for having a great day in the morning. And so the first is, begin each day with, Prayer. Now, I know you expect me to say that, but the truth is it's biblical and it is important. And when I say prayer, I'm not telling you together with all of your children and all of your spouse and your household, hold hands and for 30 minutes, using King James English, go through a prayer meeting. I'm not telling you that. I'm not telling you have to come up to the church and get on your knees on the altar here for a couple of hours every morning, although I do have the doors open. You're welcome to do that. But I do think there has to be this moment, very quickly in your day, preferably the moment you open your eyes when you spend just a few minutes in prayer. You'd be surprised at what a difference it will make on your outlook for the day. Begin each day with prayer. And it's biblical, Psalm chapter 5, verse 3. The psalmist says, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice in the morning. I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. Now, he could do it at lunchtime. He could, he could put it in here in the evening or at 4 p.m. He could say that. But there's something about the fact that it's in the morning. Or he doesn't have to give a time at all. But it's, it's, the, it's the morning. He says, I'm starting my day off like this. I'm going to pray to my God. You're going to hear from me, Lord, in the morning. I'm going to put my request before you. And I'm going to wait in faith. You're going to answer my prayer. Pray. Each day. Each morning. Like King David, Jesus would often go up early in the morning and spend time in prayer. And you know why? Jesus couldn't afford to have a bad day. He couldn't afford, you know, he had to deal with the disciples, and they were a mess. They were a mess. They were spiritual babies throughout most of that three years that he had them. They said dumb things and did dumb things constantly. Don't you know Jesus would just want to snap sometimes and turn to them and just let them have it? I would. But he didn't. Because he was spiritually ready. And one of the ways he was spiritually prepared to deal with the disciples, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, the people of the day, is that he spent time early in the morning in prayer. And then next, you may not like this one. I No, I've shared this with you before. I'll say it again. Begin each day with a song. You may say, Pastor, I'm not a singer. Again, I'm not telling you to get a karaoke machine and crank it up so all your neighbors can hear it. But there is a biblical precedent and and multiple biblical biblical precedents for singing to God in the morning. The first was the passage that I shared with you at the very beginning in Psalm. But if you look in Psalm chapter 59, verse 16, it says this. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love for you're my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. And again, I'll start my day out like this. I'm going to start my day out with a song to my Lord. In Psalm chapter 65, verse 8, it says, those living far away, fear your wonders, where morning dawns and evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. He says, when the night is over, that moment at first light, when the the night fades away and gives way to the morning light, I'm going to sing songs to my Lord. You're going to hear songs from me. When was the last time you sang to the Lord first thing in the morning? Anything at all? Consider this. We have been studying Exodus on Wednesday nights, and we have seen in chapters 13, 14, and 15 the deliverance of the Israelites out of the hands of the Egyptians, out of the hands of bondage after, I told you, 430 years. They woke up that first morning, free people. You know what God had them do? They didn't have a big party. He didn't tell them, all right, this is what you're going to do today. You're going to go here, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and there's a map, and go this way and that way. No, they didn't, they didn't need a map. They didn't need MapQuest or Google Maps or anything else because they had a guide. And the Lord was their guide in the appearance of a column of cloud, a cloud that was in the shape of a column. It was a vertical column during the day, and it was a, a column or a pillar of fire at night. And so that all they had to do was just follow the cloud or follow the fire. That's it. You don't have to wonder, where, where am I going to go? Am I going to get there? Just follow, follow the Lord. But here's what God did have them do. Immediately, he gave them regulations and requirements of what they were supposed to do to commemorate Passover. Remember, Passover just happened. And knowing the Israelites, just like you and me, they'll forget it in a week. God knows that. He says before you go any further, before we head down the road, this is what I require of you. Again, it's two, two to three million people. He says, I'm going to require and expect that once a year, you're going to set aside a week where you celebrate the Passover. He said, also for all of your firstborn children and for your firstborn animals, I want, those belong to me. They'd be dead if it weren't for me. The death angel passed through, and these would all be dead right now were it not for the blood of the Lamb that I had you put on your doorpost. And because I have redeemed, and that's the word that was used, I have redeemed these by the blood of the Lamb. They belong to me. I want you to consecrate them to me. That was the first thing they did after they left Egypt. Did you know that? Immediately, before they got to the Red Sea, before you know that whole scene played out. God said, I want you to consecrate. And he said, I want once a year for you to remember all of this. I want you to celebrate it, have unleavened bread, no yeast. I don't want any yeast in the camp, he said. I don't want anywhere around. Uh, I want you to do this every single year. But there was another thing that he told them to do. Do you remember? It, it, of course, you do remember if you were here Wednesday. God said, I want you to, uh, to have this as like a mark on your hand, and your forehead. Now, I also shared Wednesday how this was thousands of years ago, and yet at the end of time, thousands of years after the resurrection of Jesus, we know in Revelation, it tells us the same thing, that the beast will have the people have a mark on the back of their hand and the forehead. And then Revelation chapter 7 says God's people will be marked As belonging to Christ. And so everybody will be marked. You'll have the mark of the beast or you'll have the mark of Christ. Well, Jews take that very literally in the Old Testament. This is where we first see it way back in Exodus when he says, I want you to have it on your hand and on your forehead. And so they have these. Have you ever seen them? They actually, in their their worship services and, and Passover, they have these boxes on their forehead, and they'll, they'll have the leather strap that goes around their arm, and there on their bicep, they'll have another box, and what's in the box? Does anybody know? Yeah, they're little scrolls with scriptures from the Torah, from the, from the Pentateuch, from the first five books of the Bible. They'll have those scriptures in there rolled up into those little boxes. The boxes are called, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, to in. And here, here's a picture of those boxes uh, being worn on the foreheads and on the arm of this, this man uh, there on your right as well. Now, I thought about this, and I thought, you know, it's interesting. If you got a box on your head, and by the way, I'm not going to have you put a box on your head, amen, because we've been freed from the law. <laughs> uh, we don't have to do things like that. But uh, I'm not sure God ever really wanted them to actually put a box on their head, but that's their interpretation. And, and I will respect it even though I, I, I don't have to do it in Christ. Uh, but it is interesting. It, it gives an interesting visual reminder that whatever is in those boxes, whatever verses are verses that should be very important. You know, they shouldn't put a, roll up a verse and put it in there and thinking, oh, this verse is stupid. I'm not going to do that. But I'll put it in my box. Surely not. Surely they're taking those verses that are the most important, their favorite verse, and they're putting it in there. Well, if you went into work this week, or kids, you went into school this week, and you had a box on your head, on your forehead, and everybody that you encountered were to write based on your attitude one word. Roll it up, put it in the box. What word would that be? Now, I hope if there's 20 scrolls in there, 20 verses or 20 words, that some of those words would say Christ. Would they all say Christ? Would half of them say Christ? Would any of them say Christ? Would some of them say anger or grumpy or mad? What would describe you to others in the morning? So what attitude should we have every day? Whether you realize it or not, in Christ, today is a great day in the morning. May your prayers and your songs and your words and your disposition reflect that fact. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today and we want to say thank you for giving us a reason to have a great day in the morning that our opportunity for life is renewed every day. We are reminded that we didn't earn our life. We didn't deserve it. It was out of your mercy that you created us from the very beginning. And the fact that we will wake up tomorrow, if we get to wake up tomorrow, is another example of your mercy. If we get to have a new day, And it may be a day filled with challenges. It may be a day filled with problems. There may be disappointments or uncertainty in life or uncertainty in our nation. But it's still a new day. It's still a new day filled with life and hope and purpose and meaning in Christ. And our disposition should reflect that. Our words should reflect that. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning? Do you have a great day in the morning? Every day? Twice a week? Once a month? How how often do you have a great day in the morning? And as you're praying, think about this. You have a choice, but you must choose. It's not going to be inflicted on you. You must choose whether or not, as a believer in Christ, you're going to have the attitude that you need to have. Can I challenge you right now to say to yourself and to your God, and pray to God, God, I'm going to make a commitment. When I wake up each morning, I'm going to voice a word of prayer. Each morning, as I begin my day, just between me and my God, I'm going to sing a song. Whatever song you like that honors God. Maybe it's a childhood favorite, Jesus Loves Me. Or maybe it's a song that you hear on Sunday mornings here. Maybe it's just a verse or two. Maybe you won't even verbalize it because you're tone deaf. Maybe you just want to sing it in your heart to God. Will you make that commitment? God, I'm going to honor you this week, every morning, with a prayer and a song. And see if that does not alter your attitude and give you a great day in the morning. God wants that for you. Well,
0: thanks for joining us today online for our worship service. We hope that you are ministered and encouraged to while you're with us. And we just want to remind you that you can connect with us online by going to fbcazel.org forward slash connect. We hope to see
1: you again next week.